Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. My guests today are Brent Lubert and Kaya Baker from Big Muddy Urban Farm. Brent Lubert is the executive director and one of the seven co-founders of Big Muddy Urban Farm in Omaha, Nebraska. His passion in filmmaking brought him to urban agriculture. He joined a three-person team that filmed a feature-length independent documentary called Growing Cities. The film explores urban agriculture projects in 36 cities across the United States and has aired nationally on PBS. The many urban farmers he met while producing Growing Cities inspired him to join in with friends to start Big Muddy Urban Farm. Additionally, he serves as board president for Nebraska Sustainable Agriculture Society, secretary for Gifford Park Neighborhood Association, and was a 2015 Future of Food thematic resident at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts. He is in constant amazement of all the cultural enhancing activities his neighbors organize and do in the Gifford Park neighborhood. Kaya Baker graduated from Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, with a Bachelor of Arts in Biology and Spanish in 2017. There, she was the permaculture specialist for the campus garden and high tunnel for one year. After graduating, she interned for the Foundation for Agriculture and Rural Resource Management and Sustainability at Growing Together, a nonprofit in Fargo, North Dakota, working to build community gardens in food deserts for new Americans. Kaya sees urban agriculture as a critical part of a larger picture, a cultural and political shift towards creating a more sustainable human age. Seizing the opportunity to responsibly engage in this shift, she moved from Fargo to Omaha to be an aspiring farmer resident at Big Muddy Urban Farm. Kaya and Brent, thank you both so much for being on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Thanks for, for asking. I would like to start by asking you to give a, a contextual description broadly. What is urban agriculture? So to break that down a little bit into the two parts of the term urban, uh, so that's a densely populated area, uh, and, and then agriculture, if you think about agra, which is land, and then culture, so land culture or land experience. Uh, so it's what people are doing within the land of these densely populated areas. And so that can range from a multitude of things, from growing one tomato plant in a pot out your back door, or it can range into aquaponics, where there's a system of fish that are feeding into the plants that you're growing, that then the plants are feeding into the fish. Um, and then it can range from growing on vacant lots, because uh, some cities will have a plethora of vacant lots where houses used to be but no longer stand. Um, and so from all that, there's also the community gardens uh, that have been in existence for many years uh, throughout different communities. And uh, throughout all this, it it brings people together, uh, centering around a common basic need of food. It's growing from the small scale to a large scale within an urban area. You know, when I think urban, of course, I think concrete, I think tall buildings, I think transit and those sort of elements and masses of people. But I don't typically think about plots of land growing anything. And if I do think of something green, it tends to be a more managed city park, for example. And yet, Brent, you described a really diverse array of types of space that could be utilized for these purposes. And, and, and that to me says that perhaps these perceptions need to be broken down. So what are the perceptions as far as you can tell around urban agriculture? There's sometimes the perception of like, oh, you mean you're gardening, which can sometimes is said in a derogatory fashion. Um, and, and so, to think about agriculture, though, we all get fed, and so that food is coming from somewhere. Uh, we just know from our culture here in Nebraska that it's uh, the agricultural use of land is usually uh, corn and soy, and then there's livestock within all that. 
And so sometimes, especially here in Nebraska, thinking about the identity of a, a farmer, um, you, you may think of that. But then within urban agriculture and the dichotomy of you, on the one hand, you have this natural setting, and then on the other hand, you have this man-made, very linear lines about you when you go outside. And so putting that connection back within the urban setting of being stewards of the land, no matter where you are, is part of urban agriculture. So so it's it's getting back to this connection to land because it doesn't matter if you're in the rural setting or if you're in the urban setting, you are living on land. In this context of bringing agriculture to the urban setting, by bringing agriculture to the urban setting, it is in your daily life. So at least where we are on 33rd California Street and in that in the Gifford Park neighborhood, people are passing by on their way to work, on their way to school, any sort of place within their daily life. And, and just that small glimpse will help you start to think about where your food comes from and and how we might be able to uh, start working on the challenges of producing food for a, a larger amount of people when we know that the practices are, are sometimes detrimental to life in general. What then is big, muddy urban farms? What does that entail? To talk about it is to understand the neighborhood that we're, we're located in. And so that's Gifford Park. And the... Neighborhood Association formed 26 years ago, and then throughout that activism worked to really uh, improve some of the areas of the neighborhood and improve the lives of everyone living in the neighborhood. That then created a community garden, and that's that happened about 16 years ago. And so then there's this culture of growing and gardening that's going on in the neighborhood, and the community really supports that community garden. Uh, and so then comes Big Muddy, which is about seven years old now, and I really see it as an evolution of what's already been happening in the community, but now just taking it another step. And so we're at Urban Farm. We started seven years ago. There were seven friends that got together that we saw these vacant lots uh, that used to hold houses there, but uh, through neglect, uh, these houses have been torn down, and then the lots are sitting empty. And then we also saw a lack of access to fresh, healthy produce. So there was those two aspects that were very uh, tangible that we wanted that to change within our lives because we lived in this neighborhood. Uh, then there's this other aspect of education uh, that is accessible, that, uh, that we can build upon the strengths that we all have and teach one another. And so we come together and then start the farm and we start talking about the business of the farm. So what is it going to look like? And that turns into a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. That's a subscription-based model. It's also a relationship-based model uh, where members of the community invest in a farmer and a farm at the beginning of the season. And then for that investment, and for that security for the farmer, they get a box of fresh veggies for how many ever weeks the agreement calls for. And so that's what we started out with, and then we were selling at farmer's markets. Uh, and so we had this business model, but we didn't really actually have land quite at the beginning there. Uh, but what really kicked it off was a conversation with some community members in Gifford Park, Chris Foster, Martin Janicek, Rob Janicek. Uh, they, had a, they owned a vacant plot of land in the neighborhood so we talked with them and they chris foster is instrumental in the neighborhood and helped start the community garden so again there's that that culture of gardening and growth and uh growing and so that really helped give us the push like someone believes in us and so we started with this plot in gifford park but then we were just searching for areas to grow on and so that turned out to be like there's one plot nine miles one direction and another plot nine miles the other direction that then we pivoted from a general partnership into a nonprofit, so that the business structure can reflect uh reflect what 
our aspirations are and what we want to provide for the community. So we pivot and then we develop a aspiring farmer residency program. And then also throughout all this, we start to centralize within Gifford Park. So we have five lots in Gifford Park. There's three chicken coops. And then there's also two houses. And those houses house the residency program. Uh, so we have a aspiring farmer residency program. Then we host youth garden lesson plans during every Saturday morning during the growing season. And then we also host tours to community groups. How large is this urban space that Big Muddy has to farm in? And, and at the beginning, who was farming it and what were you growing? Uh, so... I, I mean, over time, we've had five plots consistently. They've just been different plots. <laughs> and uh, so in the beginning, one plot was past the North Interstate, and it looked like it had row crops on it at some time previously. Uh, and so it, it was a pretty clay soil, but it was a beautiful south-facing slope, and there was a stable across the way, very uh, serene to be out there, uh, but there's challenges of water out there. And so we planted some of the less intense crops like potatoes out there. Um, and then another plot was this beautiful, rich river bottom soil uh, before the river was dammed up, um, and so it just has so much nutrients to it. That one we planted tomatoes and uh, beets and all sorts of good veggies. Uh, but then we also rotate year over year through these plots. Um, and another site was uh, 48th and Sailor and uh, started growing straight into the soil there, which was, again, clay-like. We, we have quite a lot of clay in Omaha but uh, it's also amazing soil to be growing in and amazing soil to work with. And so that sailor plot, though, we, we realized that, you know, we're, we're very much located in Gifford Park and we're not doing too much for the community in that area. And so instead of us kind of just traveling to these spaces and then leaving and then traveling, uh, it should be definitely led by the community of where that plot is. And so uh, we left that plot and then uh, folks from Myanmar, they started growing there. And it was this beautiful understanding of different techniques of going from one year with Big Muddy and then the next year with uh, new Americans and seeing the the skill set and just the the dedication um, and then the design the layout of the land too uh, it was a beautiful experience you've consolidated now as you said in in this one particular area Gifford Park if we went there today what would we see yeah in Gifford Park it's about an acre total uh, with all the growing area and what you'd see is You'll start at one plot on the edge of the neighborhood that's, you know, 150 feet by 45 feet and has just a, a lot growing in that space. And then you can walk down the alleyway and you wouldn't really notice it from the street, uh, but then there's this garden up top. Uh, and then you keep walking down the alleyway and you'll see the chicken coop and people will be feeding some of the chickens on their daily walk. And then just another block from there, there's a raised bed garden. So that's a great place for some of the salad greens and spinach and those kind of things. And a little bit different than direct soil uh, cultivation. And then you'll walk to a street that is only one block long. There's not a three street, so it has a much different culture over there. As you start to walk through, uh, you'll just start to see, oh, there's a garden, there's a garden, there's a garden. And it is a much different experience than there's an overgrown lot, there's an overgrown lot, there's an overgrown lot. Turn and walk away 
not even born yesterday I see you on the streets and you just pass me by you think I got no feelings think I'm living high but let me tell you aspiring farmers residency and so I, I get to ask Kaya to talk about that so would you mind describing that program what's your life like uh, every day yeah um, so the aspiring farmer residency program is a year long we started out with five resident farmers um, but then but now we have four because one moved on for other opportunities and uh, we were all selected because we applied and there is a selection process so we all came together without knowing one another for different reasons. We all cared about food in some way or another. And uh, so we all move in to the campus uh, and we live together in two different houses. We move in in January and we move out in December and we work together to create a business plan and a planting and farming plan alongside with that. Uh, what we're going to plant, where we're going to plant it, when we're going to harvest it, to whom we will sell where our markets, how does the CSA structure look like? This is kind of like a hypothetical business that we're creating uh, that's not Big Muddy Urban Farm, but it's more for our learning sake. It really, it really helps us just to agree upon how we're going to run through this year. Because we moved in um, during the winter in January, it's, it's too cold. You don't have ideal growing conditions. So there's a lot of planning and trying to meld our own personalities with one another, figuring out the other residents, how they work, what they want to do. We all work about 20 hours, allocating 20 hours to working on the farm at Big Muddy. And then um, everyone else kind of does different things. Everyone has a part-time job. Uh, a couple people are also part-time students or full-time students. Uh, I just have a part-time job, and then I... I usually um, do my farm work in the morning. Right now, I'm growing spinach and carrots and onions and okra, um, a lot of beets. We also have radishes, um, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers earlier in the season. We, we go through quite a variety of vegetables um, throughout the seasons. So we had community members pay us a certain amount of money uh, up front at the beginning of the season and then in exchange we prepare them a share or a box of food that is in season that week. We have two different pickup days for them. We harvest the day that they pick up on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Fridays are extra fun because we also have to prepare for the Gifford Park market. We sell the extra produce that we didn't put in the CSA at the market. 
I would say the fun part about being an aspiring urban farmer is that like people don't really know what it is. So we get to we get to be a part of that active dialogue and uh, we're all different and weird in our own ways. And we get to participate in conversations every day, uh, wherever we go, like at the market or just on the street with random people and uh, establish or redefine urban agriculture. And it's fun. And And another fun thing about growing food is people a lot of people don't know what we're growing like what is this whoa there's such thing as purple basil or what is a papa yeah it's fun not only being a student of the environment and of the plants we're working with and our cultures and communities and the economy but also with that being um a communicator of what we've learned maybe being a teacher it's just always like yeah it's a it's fun so so what has surprised you about this experience? I don't know if I would say um, I've been surprised. More tickled pink and uh, like I, f- I feel very loved by my community. Uh, Brent talked about Gifford Park neighborhood having a, a history of community, having community and growing food um, and as an outsider coming from Minnesota to Nebraska and just like right off the bat, people wanting to know my story and wanting to get to know me more and wanting to see me succeed in learning and becoming a community member um, and a successful farmer or whatever I want to be. They're just like, yeah, you're cool. We love you. Um, There's a lot of support. I think you could, yeah, that's probably the most surprising thing for me. What is this philosophy that urban agriculture uh, has for you in terms of a sustainable human age? Before I came to Big Muddy Urban Farm, my uh, internship with Farms, F-A-R-R-M-S, I had the privilege to visit a bunch of different organic farms in North Dakota and Minnesota. And they were beautiful and they were elegant and organic and sustainable, but they were like in the middle of nowhere and everyone was happy but they were still isolated, um, and they didn't get to see where their food went. And I worked in Fargo, like in a more urban area. So after that internship, I decided that um, I wanted to be around diversity and adversity all the time more. That was one of the reasons why I came to Omaha. That's a very powerful part of defining urban agriculture, the urban part and density of humans. Right now, our food systems don't necessarily make food accessible to all people. Food deserts exist, and that's not sustainable. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. The act of gardening helps you connect to a worldview uh, in a very significant way, uh, because just by planting that seed, you're starting to understand, okay, the seed grows into a plant that then feeds me, and this is happening to people all over the world. What is it like in a different area um, and because they're doing the same thing and they need the same thing. And so just by doing that in your own area, that then can expand your mind into understanding what's happening all across the world because we all rely on agriculture to sustain our lives. So tell me then about the farmers from Myanmar. You explained that they transitioned onto a lot that you had started with and you also talked about learning. Different skills, and and there was this sort of mutuality of uh, appreciation and understanding. Uh, So, I mean, when we started on that lot, it was the first time digging into the soil, and this was filled dirt. There used to be a large building there, apartment uh, there, and it was torn down, so then it's filled dirt. So, usually the filled dirt in in town is clay and so we're working with clay and it i mean the first year we trucked in a lot of manure and started putting that in uh sometimes there was a couple fights about just like getting everything done uh all that good stuff and we did get it done uh it's just sometimes stressful out there uh so we got some manure on there and then we planted some tomatoes and whew, the the wind gust in that section like the the tomatoes are just like almost lying on the ground at some times, but it did become productive. What we were doing was like, you know, very long rows of tomatoes. Uh, that's what 
we're used to and think that that's the most efficient way. And so then when there was the changing of hands, uh, what happened next was there's, you know, some fruit trees there. Folks were putting compost on the, on the fruit trees and making sure that the fruit trees are staying healthy and uh, producing well. And, and then there's also this like, this pocket over here, that's going to be some greens. This pocket over here, that's going to be some squash. And so it, it got out of this mentality of just straight rows and became more of this intricate path system, uh, where there were pockets of different things. Yeah. It was beautiful just to see how different a plot of land could be, uh, based on different lived experiences and different ways of growing knowledge. Uh, and then that translates into the land. We touched upon the idea of education earlier, and Kai was talking about uh, the Aspiring Farmers Residency Program, which is both contributing to the work of Big Muddy, but also an educational component too. Kai also touched upon educating the community. So talk a little bit more about that idea of educating the community and whether that's informally through community relations or, or maybe formally through the educational system. Everyone eats, and so then there is a market there. Uh, and so the thought is that within urban agriculture, we're producing food that can sustain a, a little part of everyone's life. And so there is the education of uh, what's nutritious and and how to get to those sources of nutrition. But then there's also the education of uh, what is our environment like because all the, we have amazing soil and we do have a growing season. There is some hostile nature to our climate. It's not a desert by any means, uh, but it can get pretty hot here and humid. And sometimes that's not so good for some of the plants like lettuce. And so that's where uh, the seasonality of things comes into play, uh, which then does take a bit of time to get used to. But to understand why it's important is that it goes back to that nutrition. Just because there's a little bit of hostility in the climate, it's not uh, impossible amount of hostility. You can things grow terrific here, but you need to understand those those aspects of it. Uh, that it gets really hot and it gets really cold. Once you understand those aspects, once you accept those aspects, then you can really do a lot. Uh, you can start to understand when you need to plant something, and then when it'll go out of season, and what crops will stay throughout the season, where then, especially in the fall, that you can plant another round, and it can be this beautiful harvest in the fall. And then you can even, even season extend. There's technology out there, high tunnels, hoop houses, uh, that will allow you to grow into November and allow you to start in February. There's a lot of education within the seasonality of things. There's also the education of why it's important. How do you get the information that you're learning into the sort of the heads of the community and, and school children? So we do have a youth garden program uh, every Saturday morning, and this is a partnership with the community garden. Uh, and so at that youth garden, the kids take their own raised bed. So they get their own 30 inch by 30 inch raised bed. And then we talk about the design of this raised bed. So they're really taking ownership. And, and that's a big part of the education of Big Muddy is ownership. Uh, we place the hands or we place the, we place the decision making capabilities in the hands of residents. And then also at the youth garden, we put the decision making capabilities in the, the hands of youth. Uh, and then through that, every f week for 16 weeks, we have a discussion about what you can do with that produce uh, and then how can you preserve that produce. And so really getting in depth for 16 weeks with kids ages 3 to 13 uh, about how to grow a garden and that hands-on experience, that tactile experience, and that empowerment that comes from planting the seed. Uh, and through that process, really gaining a sense of how to, how to garden and how to feed yourself.
You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. the existence of Big Muddy in terms of its actual physical location and, and the sort of work you do, and in fact any kind of urban agricultural garden or plot or otherwise, how does that impact a neighborhood? Again, getting back to that daily life, uh, people are passing by the gardens and there is a connection to the garden for everyone. I would say the existence of Big Money Urban Farm being in an urban setting, uh, specifically in Gifford Park neighborhood, is it is visible. Uh, it is in people's backyard on their daily walk or commute. So it, in in effect, um, normalizes urban agriculture or growing food. Maybe it, maybe it dare I say, inspires uh, other people to grow their own food. Have you seen that? Have you seen that in the neighborhood that, for example, uh, you know, people that live maybe a couple of blocks away, they've they've converted bits of their garden into a small space where they can grow whatever it happens to be, you know, maybe some tomatoes or potatoes or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Growing vegetables and having other having neighbors that also have chickens. People get really excited about about um growing food and eating food. Um in an urban setting Another aspect that I maybe didn't anticipate is interacting with all sorts of people all the time. So each resident kind of has a baby plot where we work most of the time. Uh, and my baby plot is behind Cali Tacos. So uh, I see a lot of students like walking to um, Creighton and also there's some homeless people. Uh, and there's, I think... Um, a place where people can, homeless people can have a bed at night, like within walking distance of my plot. Uh, so one day I was I was doing my fall seat, my fall planting of beets, and uh, this I saw um, this man sitting across the street from me, talking to the air. I th- I think he's schizophrenic, 
And uh, one of my neighbors noticed him and asked him to, he like, please move on. Uh, <laughs> and so he, like, came to me. He saw me. He, like, started walking and saw me and said, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? And then noticed that I was gardening and I, like, had earbuds in. Uh, and I took my earbuds out. And I said, hello. Uh, and he said, oh, you're busy. Uh, can I sit on this, uh, sit on this cinder block over here? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. I'm just going to be over here planting beets. Uh, and so he was sitting there and he like told me about these bruises on his arms. Um, this guy was in detox and I think he was just scared and didn't understand what was going on and they were maybe had to do some restraining on him and he's like telling me the story and then this other guy comes along and I'm just like trying to put some beet seeds in the ground and this other guy comes along he's like hey bro you got a you got a cigarette he's like nah man and then he's like the other guy asked him do you have a lighter and he said nah man I had three but I gave them away and this other guy was just asking the schizophrenic man like for something he just wanted to like get something and then another person came along uh and they were like 10 feet away from me so I felt like in the conversation but not and uh, they all said hello to me and acknowledged me um and then this other person comes along and he's not wearing a shirt and he has tattoos everywhere uh and he sits down next to uh Brett Brett was his name the schizophrenic man and he was like, hey, how you doing? You look thirsty. He handed him a water bottle. Uh, they're like, what are you doing over there? Oh, wow, you're doing a really great job. You're cultivating beets. Whoa, can we help? And I was like, oh, no, it's fine. I'm just doing my thing. And I don't know. They were asking me about the plot, and they were really interested. Then I started watering, and they asked me to spray them with the water because um, it was a hot day. And I was like, uh, sure, I can spray you with the water hose. Um, I, but I learned their names, and they got really excited about lasagna, um, dreaming about food that they could make with all the food that they saw growing. Uh, so I gave them a handful of onions from my plot that I had grown, and uh, then they then they were like, you're a good person. Uh, sorry if this is weird and we're like not supposed to be here but you deserve to be treated well thanks for treating us well because not everyone treats us well thanks for being real and keep doing what you're doing <laughs> so that was very affirming for me and random but but like I interact with people all the time every single day when I'm out there people just walk past and they're like what are you doing this is cool ask you both about your childhoods. So let's start with you. Brent, what was your childhood like? And especially as regards what now is your your work and your passion, hmm. which is in, in urban agriculture. So what was your childhood like and, and how did agriculture of any form or gardens of any form play a role in that? 
Definitely. Uh, so I grew up about 108th and Fort um, and did not grow up with a garden. Uh, I mean, we were eating fast food most of my life uh, as a, a staple. And um, because my parents were both working, uh, my mom is a nurse and my dad works in insurance. And so although they didn't really instill any sort of gardening experience into me, uh, they taught me how to care for a community and then also how to work hard. And so I really value my upbringing for that. Um, and so, yeah, didn't really have much of a garden experience in my upbringing and you know, my family is not connected to any sort of land around here, uh, so don't have any sort of farmers within my lineage here, but there is some in Michigan. Um, and so didn't have much connection there. I am all about filmmaking and dove into that subject, which then led me to uh, join the trip for Growing Cities. And so that's a documentary project. And we started interviewing urban agriculturalists all across the country um, from seeing these diverse array of projects and uh, just different ways people are coming at this and the reason for why they want to grow food. Uh, it all comes down to uh, growing food and how that can help the community and you really start to see it. Uh, so uh, from that project, getting back here, it's it's something where it's like, okay, I, I got to get out there. I got to start doing this. And so there were some friends uh, around here, friends of mine around here that were wanting to start a farm. And so I got involved with them and started this project with them. Some had more strengths within growing, and I learned a lot from them uh, throughout that process. And year over year, you really start to pick up uh, ways of doing this work. And so through that, there's a five-year process of really running the urban farm before then pivoting to start the nonprofit. And so their year-over-year -year experience of out there planting, putting the hard work in, rain or shine, under the hot sun, any of that, uh, making it happen. And then uh, from that experience, I feel super capable now to start my own farm, uh, run my own business, and make it a livelihood. Uh, so, Kaya, what, what was your upbringing like? How was it that you were motivated to embark on being an aspiring urban farmer? Uh, so one stereotype of Minnesotans is that we play hockey and I, that was my first love. Uh, yeah, I think the first time I had skates on, I was two years old and it's just part of our culture. We, uh, we play it every day. So I grew up playing hockey and, uh, with a single mom and one sister and then I, Went to college, like, playing hockey. That's how I found Concordia. Um, and some of my mentors and friends went to Concordia College. And um, that's where I decided to go. And I was introduced to Concordia College um, from hockey. So I played there for my first two years. And then um, life happened. And I had to give up my first love, hockey. And it was my identity and I was, I was like, I'm a Minnesotan. Uh, I play hockey every day. I don't know what to do with my hands now. What do I do if I am not a hockey player? What am I? So I um, kind of had to reforge my identity. And uh, I, I had some friends at Concordia that were really involved in sustainability. And one of, yeah, I, I hung out with them more. I got involved with a, diff a bunch of different sustainability initiatives. Um, and then I got this internship uh, with this brand new state-of-the-art high tunnel at Concordia College. Um, it was just like super fancy, decked out, uh, and there weren't any rules because I was the first intern. So uh, I had that for a year, and I got to make rules and uh, break rules, and there's a lot of freedom um, and a really great mentor. 
all the classes wanted to get involved in that, uh, integrate the garden, the campus garden, into their curriculums. So from there, I was like, wow, growing food really brings people together, gets people excited. People don't know anything. I don't know anything. I want to know more. And then uh, after I graduated from Concordia College, I found this internship with farms in Fargo. Uh, the idea with the farms internship is that you live on a mentor farm for a year and you like are, yeah, you live there. You grow food every day with the farm. You do all the farm work uh, for a growing season. But my mentor farm was actually not a farm. It was a nonprofit called Growing Together where uh, we just worked with new Americans to build and maintain gardens. And a lot of them didn't speak English. And that introduced me to uh, way more concepts about growing food that wasn't just the science behind it, how to grow a tomato plant or a pepper plant or design a garden, but like all the social implications. What is the future of urban agriculture? And how can anybody listening to this show embark upon that adventure for themselves? Big question. <laughs> uh, the future of urban agriculture, from my perspective, um, is one where uh, we do start to see more gardens, buy houses, um, and especially in, I'm talking about Omaha more specifically, because we have the space to grow here. Uh, and so we'll start to see farms that are within our neighborhoods uh, because it is possible. There's a lot of opportunity for that to happen. Uh, and within urban agriculture, it is focusing on vegetables and food that we can consume. And so uh, there's successful models for it to be a livelihood, for it, for it to be someone's occupation, uh, because there's a high intensity if you're growing and you get a system in place, you can make a livelihood from it. There's a lot more labor that goes into it, which then can uh, provide jobs to some of your neighbors. Um, and so I'll, I believe that the future of urban agriculture will start to see more of these farms that are people's occupations that is a livelihood uh, for them. And then that they are then feeding the community from where they are growing. Uh, and then f further out from that, uh, I think that from those farms that start up, uh, we will need to even get to a larger scale uh, that can take place within any sort of land transfer that might happen within the next 10 to 20 years uh, as some of the farmers start to age out of the occupation Um and some of that land will stay in commodity production because commodity is definitely part of the state economic forces here. And so that's definitely going to be there. Uh, but the beautiful thing with uh, vegetable production and market farming is that it doesn't take that much land to uh, to start a farm with because you can't handle that much land. It's a high-intensity culture. And so, so I see that the farms that start on the urban side then can grow up a little bit and go to those land transfers. Final word to you, Kaya. Yeah, what advice would you give to someone that's thinking about urban agriculture for themselves? Uh, I would say do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can do it, I would hope. I guess like maybe that's naive of me. Maybe not everyone can do it. Uh, I would ask you what you want to do and then uh yeah tell you to find all the people that know about it and they want to help you that's what i'm finding more and more um as i become more networked with other farmers it's there's a lot of camaraderie involved it's not a closed system it's an open open access world of agriculture by and large um, so, yeah, talk to people, make friends, get connected, because cause other farmers want to see farming get more sustainable, I think, and be more accessible and vibrant and vital. So maybe a great place to start then would be to go to your local farmer's market and join a CSA. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Live's radio show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. Wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. Well, I've been in conversation with Brent Lubert and Kaya Baker. Thank you both so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, I might edit that one. <laughs> uh. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.